Hello there, my name is B, and you're listening to The Biologist of It, where we get the gist of what it is that biologists do. And we do that using fun puns and popular culture references. And if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, be sure to click follow or subscribe on YouTube or your favourite podcasting channel, and you'll never miss an episode like this one today, where I'm joined by the lady of Twitter who likes to yell about nature, (laughs) the very mysterious Nat. Welcome, Nat. Hello, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I'm quite excited to get Natter in. Hey, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's what I do best. Yeah. You can't stop me. You could try. <laughs> so um, I know you from Twitter. And actually, mm-hmm. I was looking back and was trying to remember how I first interacted with you. And I think it was your tweet about the sea bat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which gathered yeah. so much interest. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm never going to hit peak sea bat ever again I think it got 35,000 likes and the, the impressions were on the millions oh my goodness. but just if if anyone's not seen it um right I was on Imager I don't know if anyone else goes on Imager but I was on Imager and I saw this amazing video of I think it was a type of it was a, like a sea uh, mollusk type thing um and it was swimming in a jar like in a sort of you know on a ship And I was like, oh, that's the best thing I've ever seen. It looks like a little bat. And so I took the video and I tried to find the reference. I couldn't find who it belonged to, which is bad practice. Um, But I put it it on Twitter anyway and just said, it's a sea bat and I won't be taking any further questions. And it just went nuts. And it went nuts to the point where the the lady who took the video (laughs) on a research expedition was just like, oh, this is this is my this is my video and I will take questions <laughs> oh cool which was really cool and then I sort of immediately was like I'm really sorry that's like bad Twitter practice to not credit the video but I did try but when it's a video you it's a bit more difficult than a photograph so but I won't make excuses for myself bad one <laughs> but I just sort of responded just saying you know video by this person I think she ended up getting quite a lot of new followers but from it as well and oh um, that's nice that's uh so yeah she was fu- she was fine with it she was like yeah. it's cool I'm glad that people are looking at it and she explained what it oh, I can't remember what it was it was a mollusk with some of the scripts but she explained to everybody what it was else oh. I had no idea to me and it was just a see that that's so fun and if anybody wants to see the video they can find you on Twitter what's your handle again it's it's at Nat Sabin S-A-B-I-N but most people on Twitter think that my Twitter handle reads Nat's Abin <laughs> um which I, I never realized which I never realized it's just my surname right so um I, I just never thought of it and generally I go by Natalie but you know either's fine it's just people can't hear what I'm saying when I say Nat because it's too short and they go what so just Natalie I tend to introduce myself as but um yeah Nat's a bin that's a bin that's how you can find me on twitter yes bats aside for a second we will come back to bats in a minute but you're an ecologist from Oxfordshire do you want Mm -hmm. to give yourself like a little introduction yeah um I've been doing ecology for like three years so I'm a consultant ecologist so I I work in a consultancy that serves clients and long story short if they want to build stuff on a piece of land or they want to make changes to an existing building um current wildlife law states that you have to have ecological surveys undertaken in that area um and if there are any protected species nearby you're going to have to mitigate 
for loss of habitat for loss of um roosts for bats or a loss of ponds for GCNs, uh, great crested newts sorry I'll just go to the short end the <laughs> great crested newts and it's basically my job to go there make those assessments and basically write a report that goes in with the planning application where I outline what is going to happen and then we give advice for what they need to do in order to keep within the law basically That's great yeah and it's one yeah. of those things that you are when you're outside of the circle you don't realize that that's people's jobs that yeah. whenever something needs to be built someone has to go there and make sure there's nothing precious so it's yeah. really important but yeah a bit of a lesser known job outside of the circle yeah I'd, I'd I had not heard of it I got made redundant in 2017 it's a boring story but I got made redundant and didn't work in wildlife um I have a computer science degree so it's different I used to work in project management and um I'd not heard of ecology. I'd not heard of ecologists. I don't have any proper formal education in ecology um, or wildlife. I have a diploma in practical conservation, which is one of the things that I got after three years trying lots of different things, thinking I wanted to be a ranger, um, you know, managing nature reserves. And um, I fell into ecology because I was good at report writing for my project management thing. And um, I did a couple of, I think I must have done six days with a, a local ecologist just to sort of one man band. and. I was like, this is, this, this is it. This is so interesting. Like it mixes indoor and outdoor. You've got a bit of office time where you can sort of use your brain. You've got a bit of field craft and, you know, so I just sort of fell into it and instantly went this. It took me three years of trying lots of different things and then not taking that traditional route into ecology. So I'm a little bit older in terms of sort of where I am in my career than, you know, a lot of the people at my stage are sort of, early to mid 20s because they've come straight out of uni or a master's or whatever and I'm just sort of like hello <laughs> <laughs> I'm 31 <laughs> so yeah, well, yeah so but it's it's rewarding so that's great I like a lot yeah yeah I actually so this was the area that I was initially going to go into following uni and because it does take three years or longer some people never manage to get into ecology um mm. I ended up moving into teaching which wasn't yeah. the right that's a whole other story but ecology but doing this sort of work this ecology cons um, consultation just seems like such a rewarding experience and if you are an outdoor person it's perfect really it's a good yeah, piece of it is. and I think sometimes you you know you have the ecologists that are doing research um, that is so fascinating, so interesting. They've got the target species and they're finding out all this incredible stuff that we then learn from and legislation gets updated. And I think that sometimes consultant ecologists can be seen as the bad guys and, and as client pleasers, basically, suggesting that we just say whatever the client wants to say in order to get planning permission. And, you know, I'm sure there are companies out there that do that. We call them client compliant. <laughs> um, but, you know, the vast majority of us genuinely care about the you know the the protected species and the species that are protected you know we care about those as well and um I I, I did a bird ringing session once I don't like it it's stressful but I, <laughs> I did one day of bird ringing and there was another chap who was there a lad that had been doing it for ages and he was getting just about towards his license for bird ringing and uh, he said oh what do you want to do and I was like oh I want to be a consultant ecologist and honestly the look he gave me was just filth like he just oh, really? he went really you want to work in consultancy you know and I was like oh 
<laughs> oh, but really, we're on we're on the front line. Yeah, you know, things need to be built. Our population is expanding, and we have to make sure that losses are properly mitigated against. If a yeah. skylark nest is going to be lost from a crop field, we provide five elsewhere. Yes, you know, so. It's just, and it is very thorough. You have to look at everything like as a huge, as, as a whole for everything, you know, um, habitats, special habitats. We do BNG, I won't bore you with that, but um, biodiversity net game where every, it's going to be a new law in November, which means that every development has to have a 10% net gain for wildlife. Oh, wow. That's really good news. So it's a lot of councils are already doing it. So they're already adopting it and that's their local policy. But it, I think it's November this year that it comes into law. So it's starting to rack up and everyone's getting more used to doing it. And there's a new way of classifying habitats and everything gets a number. It's not without its flaws, but it's in its infancy, really. Um, and then you put in what, what the habitats are, what's going to be lost, what's going to be kept, what's going to be enhanced. And then if stuff's being done off site and it has to reach 10%, otherwise you do not get planning permission. Oh, wow. You know, so it's things like bird boxes, um, bat boxes, integrated bat things in the actual buildings, making sure there's green space, making sure there's areas that are left without humans walking around it, you know, and it's it's a lot of numbers and it's a lot of, OK, well, what if we added this hedgerow here? How does a calculator look then? You know, and it's yeah. it's it is quite fascinating. It's a big learning curve, but we're getting there. Yeah, I saw my first new build with bat boxes in the roof recently. I went to stay um, at a new build barn up in Leicestershire. And um, yeah, it was my hometown. Yeah. Ah, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's where I went to uni. I got there for Download Festival every year. Oh, nice. (laughs) Cool. And um, they've got uh, bat boxes in the roof now for for Mm -hmm. a lot of the, the, and I'd never seen that before, but it was just one of those things that you see it and you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it's why, it's wonderful, and more more people should have bat boxes, bird boxes, and bats will go in your roof anyway. So yeah, yeah, you I might as well put some boxes up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know where they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. brilliant! So I was going to ask you how you became an ecologist, but you've sort of uh, roughly gone into that. But you actually have a yeah. sci- you have a computational degree background. You're undergraduate. Yeah, I mean, to, to I when I went to uni, I didn't know, and I come from a working class family. Both my siblings left school at 16. Both my parents left school at 16. Um, My dad was a police officer. My mum was a nurse. um, And I didn't know anybody that had been to university. I was the first one. And you'll know that from sort of year nine onwards, we carry on subjects. So that's about the age of 14, 15. Yeah, 13. So I guess 13, 14. Okay. you carry on a subject to sort of year 10, 11, so up to 16, and then you pick your post-16 A-levels, and then the amount of subjects you do get smaller and smaller, and you pick each time. And nobody explained to me that that's not how university worked. Right. So because my mum and dad had no idea, I went to the sort of career counsellor person, um, and they said, what do you want to do at uni? And I went, IT. I'm good at IT. And they said, okay. And that was that was the advice that was it because that's you know I, I and I said to my IT teacher because it was my best subject I said to my IT teacher at the time I was just like what did you do at uni she went oh I did information management and computing at Loughborough University and I said okay I'll do that right 
and that was that was literally all of the thought that went into it um and then I remember when I was waitressing through university there was a lad that came and, and was waitressing or waitering waiting I don't know well whatever um <laughs> and I said oh what are you doing at uni and he said went zoology and I was like I'm sorry what yeah and he was like zoology and I I was livid I was just like it just had not occurred to me the breadth of options yeah. out there and so you know I ended up just going and in, going into project management because the, de- the degree really I mean we had programming and stuff but it's just that's not that's not for me yeah. so a lot of it was sort of how to be organized that's how I explain my degree is is just being organized and dealing with information yeah you know um which is how I sort of ended up in project management um which I like project management it's fine I used to one of our, our where I worked for two years Xbox was our biggest client so oh, nice. we did um their social stuff and um their website so we did their web- website marketing campaigns which was fun and I'd have stayed in it if I didn't get made redundant we lost yeah. them as a client you see and then wow. six of us got made redundant because we just worked for them um and I'd have stayed in it because it was enjoyable and I liked it but it was that opportunity that made me go is this a chance for me to retrain somehow and yeah. you know luckily I was able you know because not everybody can do that I was able to have you know a partner that was able to support me and I sort of took a part-time job while I was fanning about <laughs> really just volunteering with the wildlife trust um going on like birding days and stuff I'd started to get into birding by that point because I saw a cold tip on my bird feeder ah. and I said what is that there's always one I said in my it episode, was, my thing was a pine cone that got me into my area. Yeah. Yours is it was just tip. Yeah, it was the cold right. tip. And I went, what is that? <laughs> and my brother-in-law bought me a really, do you know Matt Sewell? You'd probably recognize yes. his illustrations. Yeah. So yes. he got me one of those like garden birds, the garden birds one. And it was, you know, it's beautiful, but it's not brilliant for ID. And I was like, right, okay, I need to get a proper ID book. And that was it. It was just, it was just snowball. Um you know and so birds were my sort of I want to focus on birds and I got bat detector because I went on a bat walk with I think it was um Warwickshire bat group I went on my first bat walk with and I was like oh my god this is amazing I'm having the best time (laughs) you know and uh, and then I went and bought myself a bat detector and you know that all sort of fit in with ecology so well you know um it all sort of clicked eventually it took three years and that's a long time not to sort of have a full-time wage and we were living in Leamington at the time and the rent prices were insane um so it was quite tough but I got there in the end so yeah I'm lucky enough that I was able to have that support because not you know not everyone can do it well done you that's amazing it's the taking three years out to retrain is yeah it like big hands down to you for that it's not easy (laughs) it's one of of those things that people say oh I'd love to have the time to retrain but actually when you're in that situation it is incredibly difficult what's like the best experience that you had when you were when you were doing that sort of retraining with all of your different trusts and things oh (laughs) sorry I think I think being around other people that are very knowledgeable Mm. and um I'm I'm very enthusiastic about stuff I'm interested in. If I'm not interested in it, it's very difficult to interest me. I think it's part, I think it's an ADHD thing for me. Like I, 
if I'm interested in it, I will go at it whole hog. And I want to, I want to know everything. And the, the first um, experience I had was going out with volunteers with Warwickshire Wildlife Trust and just doing sort of, I think I was doing three days a week with them, just dipping my toe in the water really. Um, and I met actually a quite, she's my friend, like longtime friend now, Wendy, who I'm friends with Wendy Seaton on Twitter. Um, and, you know, she was just so knowledgeable about botany and um, a lot of them were retired, but because of that and because of that age and experience, they had so much knowledge yeah. and are happy to tell you about it. So, you know, I'm saying, you know, what's that? Oh, it's this moth. Why is it that? You know, and I, you know, and when you've got people who are there, particularly the older generation, you've got to suck that knowledge out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just and just get it in. And everyone has their interest, you know, and mine, mine are bats and birds, and I'm moving into botany now. Um oh, cool. but yeah, it's it it just takes time to amalgamate. Yes. Is that the right word? That's a great word. That's a good word, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it's a really Half good word. Half of it came into my head and I'm like, I'm gonna go for it. Yeah, I love um, it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think I've made friends through it, and I think just learning lots of stuff. I went and got my chainsaw license. I did tree surgery for eight months or so. That's cool. I, I deviated slightly because mm -hmm. I was like, I need some money. Right. Uh, I moved to Wales and I was like, I need some money. What can I do? And then I started doing a bit of gardening just for sort of, you know, an hourly rate at, you know, local people's houses. And I was like, I could probably do tree surgery hmm. because I've I've felled trees with a bow saw so and you know and and this chap took me on in the forest of Dean and I worked with him for eight months got my chainsaw license um, and worked as a groundie so basically just clearing up all the stuff that the that the climbers are doing um, and then eventually I got my climbing license because I did another traineeship with Gwent Wildlife Trust um, and and now I can I'm a tree climber as well um, qualified so it's just I think it, it gave me a good it, I had enough time to figure out what it was that I liked doing. Um, yeah. And friends. That, that's, that's the very long, very long winded answer. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> very very long winded. Yeah, no, yeah. I saw tree climbing for the first time during my master's a couple of years ago and it looked like so much fun and they, they were mm. offering to sort of let you go up and try it. And I was too nervous. Yeah. And I ever since have been like, I, I should have done it. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm like yeah. waiting for my next opportunity. But <laughs> yeah, come with me. Yeah. I'll take you out. <laughs> it is, it's physically hard. Yes. Um, and because I went yesterday for the first time in about six, seven months, because um my particular office only has one climber and that's me. Ah. Um, and you have to go in pairs just for safety. So I went up to Derbyshire to meet one of my colleagues up in the Derbyshire office, and um he took me climbing and we checked back boxes, which was just wonderful. Like I just, I just, but it was physically quite difficult. Um, Cause I got sort of, I was about six foot under the box and you've got to, it's so physically demanding that you've got to pull your entire body weight up with your arms. You've got to try and get your feet on the trunk and do like this weird air thrust. Okay. It's not, it's not pretty. No, <laughs> it's quite and and I slipped and I've got like bruises on my knees as well because it's just part of parcel of you know you, you see a tree surgeon who does it every day and they're up like a shot but when yeah. you start getting noodly noodle arms like me like <laughs> um it was quite tiring and I kept to keep every meter or so I just had a little rest 
And he was like, are you okay now? And I was like, I'm just having a little rest, you know. And then wait here for a second. (laughs) Yeah, but we we had, um, most of the back boxes had back poo in. That's good news. Yeah, so that's good. So the, it was, the back boxes themselves were mitigation for a lost roost on a building that had since, that has now been demolished. Okay. So, you know, yes, we're removing this roost in this building, but right next to it in all these trees that we're not losing are, I think, 11 bat boxes, quite a lot of them. Um, and then what we're doing is then sampling the poo, putting them in little vials, um, and then that will go off to a DNA site, you know, to the scientific lab. And then they'll tell us what bat poo it is. And we had a we had a Natteris bat, which I've only ever seen one. So that was really nice to, to I didn't see it, but he went, oh, there's a Natteris in there. Very experienced guy. He's been doing it for, you know, 10 years or 20 yeah. years, I think, actually. He told me the other day and he was just like, oh, Natteris in there. You know, and the, the thing goes straight back on. Right. You, know, you can't, you, you, I mean, you can disturb them if you're licensed, but we, you, you don't want to. Yeah, try not to. Um, <laughs> and a bat, an a, a bat flew out of the other one as we sort of got near it. So the poo will tell us what it was. Yeah, that must be quite relieving when you, set up a new location for them and then you find that they're actually using it yeah and you're like that that is exactly what it's for yeah um and then the monitoring is good rather than just well we've put these back boxes up we'll just leave them and maybe they'll rot maybe they'll fall off whatever but we've done it but you can't do that you have to monitor it basically for the license for natural england you have to check that they're using what you've got up so oh great i didn't realize monitoring was part of it as well so you you go back and you check that that's all sorted yeah that's really good yeah and that the and that Sometimes, depending on species, you might build a specific bat house. If the mm-hmm. development's big you, and it's got a lot of land, they'll build a specific bat house and you have to make sure that they've built it to the correct specs. Right. You know, and things like that. And that the hole is the right size. You know, it's yeah. for the target species, like everything's very, very specific and you have to say, have you done that? No, you've not. Okay, well, I'm going to go tell on you now. Oh, yeah, you know, well, and you no, have to great. go and you you have to fix this. This is what you need to fix. You need to make that hole smaller. You need to make sure this is that. And, you know, so I'm sure you've, you see- you've not planted up this hedgerow, you know, and you need to do that for the you know the flight lines and stuff. So, yeah, and I'm sure you see people trying to cut uh, cut corners all the time. Uh, I I got told a story by my director the other day that made me laugh. Um, so bats can be an inconvenience to people. Okay, you know, if if someone doesn't care about animals doesn't care about biodiversity all they want to do is turn this barn into flats or whatever you know they want to they want to develop the barn they can see there's bat poo everywhere so they sweep up the bat poo Mm -hmm. and um my boss said he was telling me this story and he said it was the cleanest barn i've ever seen you know absolutely you know there's no way a barn's that clean it's clearly just been swept Right. So this guy was aware that there was bats, swept it up. Well, obviously they're not, they don't have the expertise that we have. All we have to do is look up at the cobwebs. Right. In the ceiling. Bat poo loves a cobweb. Okay. That's good. So, <laughs> you know, it's not just the poo on the floor that shows us that bats that, that bats are there. It's poo on cobwebs. It's urine staining. It's sometimes grease staining from the fur. Mm-hmm. It could be a complete lack of cobwebs where there's cobwebs around. Right. A little bat-sized, you know, um, and the, the the wood could be smoothed by the amount of times that that bat's going in and out. Right. You know, so you do have 
people that will try and you know pull the wool over your eyes yeah but they don't obviously have the knowledge that we have so they don't realize that we can be like uh no actually sir (laughs) no absolutely not (laughs) good try but no that that absolutely wonderfully introduces the pop culture reference that you have for your episode yeah because we're talking about minute details that help you detect something about your species so do you want to introduce the concept for your pop culture reference yes Uh, it just I was like oh my god I can't think of anything (laughs) I was like what am I going to say and then it just went bam yeah you've got it and Sherlock Holmes is my pop culture reference um and that is because I mean I'd this sounds weird how often do you see animals It's it's not but you know animals are very elusive um there's no way that every animal that is using that site that you are visiting is going to be there when you visit yeah so um you have got to look out for signs uh particular to that protected species obviously we do look at stuff as a whole and say hey there's toads here and whatever and they're not protected so they won't stop you know I mean nothing generally stops it unless it's a really really important habitat and then you know it's up to the council um but yeah going in finding clues and uh figuring out what species are using it how they're using it and how many so you know the initial look around of Sherlock Holmes looking about I mean usually I'm Watson oh yeah (laughs) I was gonna say do you have a Watson but you're the Watson I'm the Watson most of the time I mean it depends because my areas are birds and bats but Mm -hmm. if you ask me to go and assess something to do with great crested newts they're not my species okay badgers aren't my species I can tell you that there's a badger set there and I could probably tell you if it's used or not but when it starts to come to what type of hole it is whether it's subsidiary which is or whether it's a main hole or whether it's this or that we have people in the company that are experts at different things so usually and really I'm still a relatively new ecologist I'm a standard level you know um so I'm still very much happy to learn new things and, and and learn from people so I'm normally Watson going why (laughs) yeah why that's great (laughs) and they're going around and they can just see it and you know I try and sort of absorb as much knowledge as I can because you know I'm very knowledgeable as opposed to a standard person who isn't into wildlife Mm -hmm. but compared to the principal ecologists in the company I'm a toddler yeah you know (laughs) so uh, it's it's important to remember that you know whatever my knowledge is it's only going to get more and, and I'll do that by going out and learning from people so yeah Sherlock Holmes I'm Watson so the one thing I realized that we didn't do because I completely got distracted was uh talking about actually what Sherlock Holmes is so do you want to do do you want to quickly give an overview of of who Sherlock Holmes is or do you want me to do that (laughs) no I can do that okay I I don't know if I mean I must have seen the film Uh, I think I watched the Benedict Cumberbatch one okay um and know of it from Charles, no. Is, is it Charles Dickens? No, it's um, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. That's the one. Oh, the guy who really liked the fairies. Yes. Like he's, yeah, the, the fairy guy. The fairy um, guy. But that's another pop culture reference. Um, and also massively um, really good friends with Houdini, Harry Houdini. 
Yeah, because they're in the film. He was in the film of fairy tale. The, you know, fairy tale, a true story. Yeah. I think it was like 98 or something, which was That's just it. like magic. Um, fairies are real. Uh, we just haven't <laughs> found them yet. No. Um, but yeah, Sherlock Holmes, basically super clever man, Victorian Britain, um, you know, goes around solving crimes. I mean, I think he just does murders. Does he just do murders? He's like the big time. He's like a, like yeah. a big wig. He get, I think um, he does like mysterious disappearances, like that yeah. sort of thing. But mostly yeah. his interest is if it's a, if there's a particularly juicy story, he'll that's those are the ones that he goes for. Yeah, loves it. He just yeah. loves it. And then uh, Watson is his long suffering, <laughs> long suffering sidekick yeah. on the side. So yeah, I was like, you know what? I considered Inspector Gadget. Oh yeah, I was like. Inspector Gadget, because I suppose, I suppose Inspector Gadget has the gadgets, right? And right. and that is, you know, also very much uh, what we have. We have lots of different gadgets, you know, to detect the wildlife. So bat detectors is one of the. I, th- I don't know how much people realise that we ha- that what bat detectors are. No, I, I, can you explain what a bat detector actually is? What does it do? Yeah, so. Bats communicate using echolocation. Um, when they are at their lower frequencies, we can just about hear them. Young people particularly, mm-hmm. um, but if they're social calling to each other, the frequencies is, is at a lower kilohertz, so we can pick it up. The most, most of the calls are too high for our ears to pick up. I did read the other day that cats and dogs can hear bats. Oh really? That's Which blew my mind a little bit, and I and I I can't give you a source. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I, I think one. I did read it, and I was like, oh my god. Um, but the bat detector picks up their echolocation, and then it turns it into noise, which we can perceive. And I think one of the fascinating things about bats is they they'll go by. They can be over your head, and if you're not looking, you will have no idea that they're there. Right. And so they often go unnoticed, um, pick up a bat detector, listen to them, and it's a different world. We have 17 breeding species in the UK okay. of bats. Um, I say breeding because I think there's a lone greater mouse-eared bat that came over from France, but apparently some people say just... it was found dead. So it's just, I think it's called Lonesome George or something. Like oh. it's quite a lonely... <laughs> And it, it, I think it's a cave in Kent. I think it, it sort of lives in a cave in Kent. But I, I did, someone said that that was, that had died. But then someone else said that another had been, I'm not sure. But 17 okay. species of bat in the UK. And some of them will sound similar. But depending on the frequency that they call at, and the, the, they sound different on the detector. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a group of species called myotis. Don't ask me how many there are, but there's I'm not going to say because I don't want to make myself sound like an idiot. But there's a group called myotis that all sound very similar on the detectors, and generally we will just say it's a myotis species without okay. sort of seeing it or DNA. We'll go it's myotis because it's just so difficult to tell them apart. But a lot of the others, you can say that's a brown long-eared bat. Okay. That's that's a common pipistrel. That's a soprano pipistrel. Noctules, for example, they will sound like chip pat, uh, chip pan fat, which is probably something 
that the youths of today don't know what that sounds like. But when I was a kid, we had a chip pan, Mm -hmm. which was full of vegetable oil. Yeah. And my parents would heat it. Mm-hmm. And then that's what we'd have our chips in. And it's the the popping of the fat, like, mm. I, won't, I won't be able to do it. But I remember someone explained it like that once. And I was like, oh, my God, it does. And like um, lesser horseshoes sound, they're mainly sort of southwestern Wales. They sound amazing. They're my favorite sound on a detector because they sound like little aliens in spaceships. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they go, hang on, let me do it. Because I can do this one. They go, and, and and it's very distinctive That's so um and you know it's just a wonderful sound um whereas pips will just be more they're more and they're like and then they have these cute little feeding buzzes where they're approaching an insect right and they're going and then they're they're, they're making quicker and quicker calls as they get to the insect and they go and you can hear that on the detector and it it brings their world to life mm. because they're they're so mysterious the minute you get that detector in your hands, you start to explain, you start to understand what they're doing. Like you can mm-hmm. tell from the sound on the detector, are they foraging? Are they commuting? Are they doing social calls? Yeah. Are they chatting to each other? And that, you know, so the echolocation, that's them making, emitting a sound and they yeah. their brain is counting the time it takes for it to bounce off of the thing and come back to them. Yeah. So their yeah. hearing is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, people say blind is about, they're not blind, they can see. Yeah. But they're, they're just more reliant on their hearing. Um, and that wasn't found out until the 18th century by an Italian chap whose name is completely, begins with S, <laughs> that's useful. Um, but the name is, he wanted to know how bats could fly around in the dark right um so he he blinded a bat not not cool um he blinded a bat and it was still quite happy zipping about and he was like okay Mm -hmm. he then like plugged the ears couldn't you know and it was like banging into stuff and he he then sort of let you know he was like shouting about it saying oh they're they're using their ears and everyone was like this man's drunk (laughs) That's you know, this, this man's an idiot. And I think it was quite another, like, another hundred years or something at least until that was actually accepted as how they, they get around because it's quite a, it's quite weird, isn't it? Yeah. And but anything pre-19th century in terms of science is absolutely bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> the idea yeah. Of, of blinding and then deafening a bat to work yeah. out how it flies. Oh, and you just think, what what are you doing yeah. as an Italian chap? Yeah. But, um, and then different bats, um, uh, some are louder than others. Okay. So brown long-eared, which are my favourite species because they're the cutest. I'll fight anyone. <laughs> there, I have I have a brown long-eared tattoo on my arm. Like, oh, wow, I, I, that's cool. I just, I just love them. Um, but they've got ears three quarters of the size of their body. Oh, huge. massive. Huge, huge ears. Um and they're just so cute looking because some bats can be, I'm not going to say they're ugly, but they're not traditionally cute. No. Um, <laughs> but but these are traditionally very, very cute. Um, but because their ears are so big, they tend to listen for insect noises a little bit more. Okay. And so when they, they do echolocate, but they echolocate quieter. Mm. They don't need, their ears are so big that they don't need to shout as loudly okay. because they've got so much space to pick them up. Yeah. Um, so they're actually that causes a problem for ecologists because 
it's quite a lot more difficult to pick them up with a bat detector. Okay. So, you know, there's all these sort of different things that you end up learning and lesser horseshoes are quite difficult to pick up because unless they're right near it, um, it doesn't pick them up. And whereas serotins, which are one of the big bats that fly quite high and they forage up in the air rather than down in the woodlands and hedgerows, one went over me for the, I'd not, I'd not heard one before, but one went over me on a survey last week and it was like, chop, 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 chop. And he was, I was like, oh, that's a serotin. Nice. Wow. You know, so they Absolutely all scream. It's not just bats. Yeah. You know, there's 1400 species. They're the second most diverse mammal species after rodents. Oh, wow. This is the thing is that um, bats, you kind of forget that they are a class of their own really aren't they yeah yeah oh don't ask me to pronounce the latin it's like it's chiropt people i can't believe this i'm a bat ecologist <laughs> and i can't say the latin it's like chiroptera okay um, but it, it means wing hand i think it means flying oh, okay. hand or something um it's because their their wings are their hands basically their hand yeah. um, bones the that are just structure. extended yeah, yeah. so Oh. I wish I wish I knew how to pronounce that properly. I'm going to be fired. <laughs> I won't. I will forgive you for not being able to pronounce something Latin because in botany we're trying to pronounce all oh. sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> just like just name just say it with hundreds. confidence. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. No one's wrong yeah. when you're trying to speak Latin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you're Watson or sometimes Sherlock Holmes. And you are given a mission and your mission is to look at the protected species in an area for where a new build is going. Yep. What's, what's the process? Okay, I'll try not, I'll try not to bore you. Okay. Um, so so we'd, we'd call it um, a preliminary ecological assessment. So we call okay. it a PEA. Um, you do a death study first before you even go to site. You get given the, you know, the, the red line boundary is what we call it of wh wh what's being developed. You would then look on, there's a thing called magic maps that ecologists use, which basically has all of the triple SI. So the sites of specific scientific, special specific sites of special scientific interests, national nature reserves, local wildlife sites, like everything that is important, basically. Um, and you would then look around that site to see what's in the area. Mm -hmm. um, and then you then sort of look at the habitats on site and you sort of go, well, there's a pond there. So I'm going to go and have to have a look at that and see how vegetated it is, see if it's going to be useful to great crested newts. Um, there's field over there, but, you know, how grassy is it? Is that going to be suitable for reptiles? And you start to build that picture before you even set foot on site. Um, and then you then go to site, you arrange a site visit, off you go, risk assessments, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you go to site and you will walk around the entire site. Okay. Um, every bit of habitat you will visit and you will then... Um, I suppose you map out the habitats basically and say okay well that's grassland but you can't grab it's not just grassland what type of grassland is it do we have calcareous grassland is it meadow like is it um other neutral like there's all these sort of ecology terms and that will um depend on what species are on there basically you you know I'm still relatively novice in terms of botany I'm, I'm getting there and I've been on grasses courses and stuff and I I'm getting more confident but like you know an expert can go on and can pick up god and probably writes them down in latin yeah my you parents know, so. actually were taught by um a 
a grass specialist who lost his sight, but towards but when he was identifying grasses, he could identify identify them by touch towards the end, which is it's amazing because grasses are the most diverse plant species yeah. that we have. I yeah. can't believe that. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> and I thought because birds and bats, that's my thing, and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm, I don't care about botany. Bear with me. I was like, I don't <laughs> care about botany. It's not a challenge. It doesn't move. It's just there. Yeah. And, and, but I've been slowly taught and I've started to get, the more that I can ID, the more excited I am, the more excited (laughs) I am, the more I'm like, what's that? Yeah. You know, and, and I want to know because I don't know what it is and that's annoying. Yeah. So, you know, and then I will then probably just text the work WhatsApp group and say, what's this? Yeah. And within, you know, 10 minutes, someone will say, that's what this is, you know, and I, and I'm quite good at retaining that. <clears throat> so, you know, if someone shows me Tansy, mm-hmm. that's it. I've got that. That's one of my new ones. Okay. Tansy. <laughs> I know that now. I know that it smells nice and I found some in my garden. So I'm definitely going to. Oh, great. Know it, from, know it from now on. Um, it's amazing, yeah. actually, when you get into it. I remember getting into it myself um, a good couple of years ago now. Um, initially everything was sort of green the more that you start to recognize things the more you recognize different shades of green and then different leaf shapes different flowers and then eventually it's just like when you look outside there's such variation and that's so exciting and I and I wish I know exactly what you mean looking at it it's like that's just sitting there I don't need I'm not in any rush not a challenge I'm a birder you know I've got to go chase birds to find out what bird it is but I've got eight species of grass in my garden. Yeah. Oh, and that's great that you know that now. <laughs> yeah, I got my little grass book out. I went and picked every different sort of grass I could see and I lined it up on the table and I was sat and went through my book. Yeah. But I know those now. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. Um, but, and then, you know, the, the habitat's one thing and then you, we have to look for the protected species um, mm. and say, you know, there's a badger set here. We need to do a badger survey there's a pond here it does have potential for great crested newts because it's got this level of vegetation it's got mm. no fish boo <laughs> fish fish will eat the eggs yeah um, there's no fish in here there's no waterfowl it's nicely vegetated but not too heavily vegetated that means it's good for for great crested newts so we're gonna have to do a dna survey okay and then if it is positive then we have to do trapping out if you're gonna look i mean gcns aren't mine I don't ever do it. And I'm like, I'm not taking any more unsociable hours. Thank you very much. I'm yeah. not doing, I already do night shifts and early shifts for bats and birds. So I'm not taking another unsociable species. Thank you very much. Um, but, and then we then basically come back to the client and say, and, and we write a report saying, basically, this is what's on site. This is the species that we need to further survey for. And then from there, we then arrange the surveys. And we yeah. then go and do the surveys and we say you can do bats in the bat season. You can do badgers and, and, and everything has a start and a stop point. And at the minute we're in what we call silly season um, because it's just go, 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 because we're time okay. limited on what needs to get in before a certain time. And if they don't get those, so if we don't get those surveys in, we have, they have to wait another year. Right. Well, is it, is know, it, is it limited season. to yeah I guess because yeah animals are seasonal right yeah exactly depending on the species like obviously you've got and and, and all these cross over mm. so 
obviously there's nesting bird season from March to September. Right. Um, which basically means if anyone wants to take any hedging out, for example, you have to have one of an ecologist there to do a nesting bird check. Okay. As you go. Right. And if you find a nesting bird, forget it. Yeah. You you, you know, the ECOW, it's this eco- ecological clerk of works. Their job is basically to say, no, there is a bird nest here. I'm going to put a sort of 10 meter buffer around that and you're not yeah. allowed to disturb that because that's obviously breaking the law um you've got bats which are quite march to the end of october well april to the end of october depend mm-hmm. i mean they don't keep to the rules um but they then go into hibernation okay. so we can't do surveys from november onwards until right. sort of the end of march because they're asleep we can't so, and you know um and you can't disturb them no so is this partly the reason why so much building and stuff is delayed to certain seasons wow so animals are literally stopping (laughs) the yeah i I wonder why not that much happens over because i appreciate it's cold outside but (laughs) (laughs) so why would you want to do building yeah but it is interesting that nothing happens between in particular months and that's because there's you guys have to be on there yeah find stuff off wow yeah exactly so it is that's why the season is so intense for ecologists in the summer like we're doing dusk dawn bat surveys so we're having two hours three hours sleep in the middle of the night getting up doing the dawn survey I mean thankfully I work at a company where they're very good with that you only do a certain amount a week and it's all spread out really well between everybody but I know of companies that put people on straight dusk dawns for the entire week for the entire season oh my god so that so they've got no life because they're spending the entire weekend recovering like I I was supposed to go up to Yorkshire last weekend Mm. for a friend friend's child's christening and I just said I'm really sorry no because I was just like I'm so tired yeah like you just I I cannot imagine traveling up to Yorkshire and then coming back and having to start another week and we're a really good company that makes sure that we get enough rest Mm. and everything else and you know and it's still really tiring yeah Um, so I think I forgot my train of thought I can't remember what the start of my point was often I do that I go off on (laughs) one and then suddenly I can't remember the point I was trying to make but it the the hours can be very unsociable and um, yeah you know the nesting the the breeding bird surveys are up until the end of June and I'm because I don't actually live in Oxford I work in Oxford I live about I live in Worcestershire so it takes me about just over an hour to get into the office so if I've got to start a nesting bird survey at dawn I have to get there at about five six o'clock obviously it depends what you know what time you know the the hours get longer and whatever but it's shattering yeah I bet you know, and then we spend quite a lot of winter doing the preliminary stuff, but okay. then also to say, well, next year, you're now going to have to have surveys, but also writing up all of the stuff that we've been doing mm. over the over the summer that then all needs all the back data needs to be analysed, all the recordings. People need to look at all the recordings and say, you've got this many passes of this bat. And, you know, it's um, it's a lot of work, but it is it is really I, I enjoy it. I yeah. feel quite lucky. Like I, when I get up, I think I had a tweet that did quite well where I just sort of said, I'm getting up at 4am to go on a bird survey. 
I'm paid to look at birds. I'm paid to look at birds. I'm paid to look at birds. <laughs> and it was just this like, no one wants to get up and do unsociable hours, but I'm paid to look at birds. Yeah. I'm paid to look at bats. I'm <laughs> paid to look for animals. That's literally my job. So, you know, you have to remind yourself, you know, I could be doing something that I hate and I don't hate this. I love it. So, oh, that's we need great. more ecologists. But that's By just a shout out. We're, the we're, <laughs> like the, the, the industry's struggling quite a bit um, with recruiting. Really? Um, I moved jobs. Yeah, I moved jobs in. Um, I started my new job in January um, and I had my pick. Wow. Like, you know, I, I was able, I turned one job down um, and I was, people are, are struggling to recruit because I don't know, is it the unsociable hours? Like, maybe you know, but then reputable companies are good yeah. at making sure, you know, people aren't overworked, but burnout is a very real thing at this time of year. So maybe people just was one of those people that got put on straight dust dawns and they didn't want to do it anymore and went this is rubbish I think the other thing is um from my memory when I was actually doing ecology at uni it was one of those ones where they said if you want to get into ecological consultancy Mm -hmm. don't bother it's so oversubscribed so lots of people didn't even take a look at it so I wonder if partly it's because that message is still there that yeah immediately detracts people away from it yeah I mean I couldn't believe it when I got my first ecology job and and I think the reason that I got it was because I had a history in project management Mm -hmm. and I had a good history in report writing and 50% of ecology is writing reports yeah Um, and so that even though like I had the worst imposter syndrome when I started my first job oh it was awful I I started my first job and I'd got people who were younger than me that had got masters in marine biology. And, and my only relevant qualification at that point was, uh, and whether that was even relevant was my conservation, practical conservation diploma, mm. which, you know, it, it sort of shows that I have wildlife knowledge, like general yeah. sort of wildlife knowledge, but it's, it's not a sort of, you know, it's not a degree, it's not a master's. And I felt completely, what am I doing? all these people have got degrees in this field like I just feel like an idiot but I think because of my because I'm so enthusiastic and I'm very honest about what I know and what I don't know and because I was a bit more grown up Mm. because I'd had quite a lot of experience in you know in the working world this wasn't just my first job like fresh-faced you know I was quite realistic and knew how to handle clients and you know I ended up doing a stint on HS2 for two years really and that was something it wasn't so we 90 percent of the work in my old company was hs2 so hs2 for my listeners who are outside the uk is yeah speed rail number two that has been being built for like 10 12 years 15 years now (laughs) yeah it is cost it's i believe it's very over budget it's basically a a rail that's supposed to collect uh, connect the north to london yes um and so you can imagine the amount of work that creates for ecologists yes it's going through ancient woodlands Mm -hmm. it's going through it's being built by the government yeah so if the government wants to put it down the government will put it down um 
And I tried to tell myself, like, I don't, I'm not going to bash anyone that works on HS2. I did it for two years, but, and it gave me the experience that I needed to then work for a company that had more diverse projects. Okay. um, You know, and smaller. It's not, I actually work for a bigger consultancy now, but it, we have much more individual projects, small things, rather than one huge big thing that you do in same, same thing day in, day out. And, um I've forgotten what the start of my point was again uh you're um, doing stints on HS2 yeah and I, I just I you know what it destroyed my soul a bit really <laughs> yeah That's and really I just um I didn't feel proud of what I was doing yeah and I was always doing my best and was very and like my integrity for I don't care if this annoys you I don't care if this delays anything yeah this is my opinion and I'm not changing it yeah you know and but I just thought you know what I retrained and I'm still not happy I I love working with bats and I got my bat license while I was working there and but it just wasn't I, I went to the big bat conference um virtually the like the national bat conference and some of the talkers were like Oh well, you try apply for bat licenses. You all know what I talk, what I'm talking about, and they mean for buildings specific okay. licenses to destroy roosts in buildings by moving the bats. And I, I don't mean kill. I mean, yeah. you know, remove the roost basically and put it somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and they sort of said it like, oh well, you'll all have written you know countless licenses. You'll know what I mean. And I was just like, I, no. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you mean because I was just working for HS2, just them doing the same right. thing all the time and only doing a small section. I was only doing the surveying. Right. And then everything else then went to another company, which then went to another company. Yeah. Um, and so I just thought, I don't feel fulfilled. I need to, I need to move somewhere. And I was very strict. Like I had companies saying, I'll come and work for us. I was like, do you work on HS2? Yeah. And they'd say yes. And I go, well, I'm not working for you then. And they're like, you don't, you don't have to work on. And it's not, I will never work for, you know, uh, a company that work, does some work on HS2, but I didn't want to risk. There's no point out of the frying pan into the fire. If I wasn't happy working on HS2, there are companies that won't, that yeah. don't need to, mm-hmm. you know, have it work on it. But they're a bit, it's a big employer, but it, it's, you just see too many. And they are doing good mi- mitigation. The ecologists are doing good work and we're doing what we can. Yes. You know, Given if we weren't there, if we weren't there, think of the, think of the devastation you know we, we're doing our best um yeah. but for me it, it it just became a little bit like I don't I can't do this anymore this is a side note but I have a friend um who is an archaeologist and she worked on HS2 actually mm. interestingly and she said the same thing exactly the same thing um but because archaeology depends on rain um and if it rains they have to wait three days for the groundwater to to empty whenever it rained oh. They would put them on site and they couldn't do work, but they weren't al- allowed to leave site. So they just had teams of archaeologists just yep. sitting. Waste of money. Such a waste of money. And she said, yep. you know, you can only sit in one of these temporary boxes. I've been so in so many weeks before you're yep. like, I, what's my life for? <laughs> what am I doing? Yep. It's, yeah, yep. it's soul destroying. And it's really sad to think that hs2 is ruining so many people's experiences yeah and actually both archaeology and ecology are really rewarding jobs yeah Yeah. i I think i think without it 
I think that it, it, it started my career off. Mm-hmm. It gave me an opportunity, an employable opportunity to go in and get two seasons of bats mm-hmm. under my belt. Um, and, you know, that then meant that I was then able to apply for somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So as a springboard, it got me to where I needed to be. Um, but it, it wasn't, it was not very, it wasn't particularly rewarding. No. You know, like I'd gone in and, and we did, I worked for a company that did vegetation clearance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, I was mainly on trees rather than buildings, you know. Oh, okay. And I'd be there upgrading the trees. I'd be like, nope, <laughs> this is moderate potential. This tree, this requires two surveys. Okay, bye. <laughs> um, you know, and the stuff that wasn't even noted by any other ecologist before and then from, you know, other companies. And I'd go in and I'd be like, you know, this isn't on my list. This tree in this woodland isn't on my list. And I mean, look at this, the holes in it. And so I'd put it as moderate and then I'd hear from the surveys that happened that a bat flew out, you know, okay. and you're like, I got you. Yeah. I got you bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that you do your project write up actually really does make you Watson as well, because he has to write everything up that Sherlock does and then publishes it in the newspaper. So you truly are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Such a, such yeah. a good analogy for it. Yeah. Um, what's one thing you wished people knew about your job? if you could just tell them one thing about being an ecological consultant. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've covered Um, a couple of things already, but if there was like, if you could only tell people one thing. Please come and join us. Mm -hmm. It's very rewarding. We are on the front line of helping save habitats and wildlife from building and development which is going to happen Mm. um and we need more people who care in ecology because and and you end up being with like-minded people as well like the jokes going around the office today about there was one of the lads hadn't shaved for a couple of days and I said to him I was was like oh Jamie you're getting a bit of a beard um and then we started one of the couple of the other lads started talking about habitat assessments for scrub (laughs) and um it was just you know it was just the nerdiest no one outside an ecology office would understand what on earth yeah we were talking about but it was just absolutely brilliant so you sort of you find your people Mm. um you know and I, I had a chaffinch um fledgling in the garden about half an hour before the call um that's plopped out of a tree which must have been nesting must have been nesting in the ivy and you know I took a little video of it feeding and it goes straight to the work chat really because you know it's and we share stuff you know out of hours as well look at this moth you know (laughs) look at you know and you 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 it's amazing to learn from other people and you can only grow your knowledge Yes. You know, I can teach people who are experts at bats stuff about birds, you know, and I like doing that. And I, I, I like quizzing people and going, right, what, what bird do you think that is? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll, and then I'll try and describe this. And it's while you're out and about doing it and they'll be like, is that a blackbird? And I'm like, no, you know, and, and yeah. it's just so nice. And then they're then teaching me botany. Yeah you know and and it's just that nice exchange of like everybody cares about the same thing it's just everyone has their little areas that they're really good at and we're all sort of helping each other so 
you can you can find your people that's really really sweet what a lovely thing to say um so you've already said your favorite bat is the long-eared brown long-eared yeah yeah um but I mean you're welcome to keep that answer or change it but normally when I ask biologists if they have a favorite bird or bat based on you know whichever area they work in yeah they always have a really good answer so you can say that one or you can change to another one maybe like a really cool species that you know about but could you tell me about one brown longeds are my faves Mm -hmm. there are like sort of pictures of other bats that just look incredible that aren't in the uk okay the honduran white bat is one that oh my god stop it they're like (laughs) I mean, you'd probably, it gets widely shared on Twitter. I I mean, they're called the Honduran white bats, so I presume they live in Honduras. Yes. (laughs) Um, They're white and they have little yellow, sort of pale yellow noses and ears. And they are, they, nest isn't the word, they roost, nest. What am I saying? They roost in leaves. That's, oh wow! That, like that pat sound for anyone who's not watching the video was me <laughs> pretending to be a closing leaf. <laughs> um, and they—they're just so cute, and they're so unlike our species. Um, so that's that. I would love. I, I'd love to see bats in other countries. I think particularly tropical bats, and I'd love to go to Australia. And I oh, I've got a fact about Ooh. Mexican freetail bat that I oh, wrote yeah. down. Okay. How fast do you think bats can fly in miles per hour? Okay, so I have some bats in my garden. They flit about quite quickly. I don't know. Oh, I'm really bad at this. Maybe <laughs> like, hmm, I would say at top speeds, diving, maybe verging on like 30 mile an hour. Okay, it's a good guess. Okay. I didn't know this either until I, because I was just like, I was like, oh, there's going to have to be bat facts. And then I just, every fact about bats leaves my brain yeah. completely. And I was just like Googling, like, what are bat facts? Um, a lot can reach 60 miles an hour. Okay. But the Mexican freetail bat, which is in uh, the southern states and oh, Mexico, um, can reach 100 miles an hour in a dive. Wow which makes it the fastest mammal on the planet no yeah which is just like that's so cool that's so cool that's so fast <laughs> so fast i mean they go whipping past like before you've yeah. even realized it and you, you they can they are more maneuverable than the vast majority of birds that would really hurt if it if it miscalculated <laughs> you know what i i there's an amazing interview with david attenborough um and he was in one of these huge caves on this massive pile of guano with bats flying around and he was like a lot of people are scared of bats and that they're gonna get tangled in their hair but don't worry they won't they can you know and explains echolocation and they can see him you know and yeah and then apparently as soon as the cameras turned off one of them smacked him in the face Oh, I was going to say, where's that video? <laughs> I know, yeah, which is just brilliant. And he was just telling this story and I just thought it was just amazing. Um, so, so yeah, hopefully the bat was okay. I'm sure it was just yeah. flew off going, a bit embarrassed. Yeah. Um, oh, brilliant. But... Well, all the ones you've mentioned today, I'll put on my Instagram and Twitter at Biologist of It. So any of my listeners or viewers can go and have a look at them and pop all those facts in there as well. Thank you. That's really yeah. interesting. 
as well as being on Twitter as yourself, you also are on Twitter with your own podcast. And I was wondering if you wanted to introduce that a little bit. Yes. I mean, yes, I'm a colleagist, but I have a podcast about history. <laughs> a little bit um, left field. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I enjoy history just as much as I enjoy wildlife and ecology. Um, you know, I wanted to be an archaeologist when I was a kid. I wanted to be a historian, like, um, and it just sort of never happened. And I went into ecology instead, which is fine. Um, and someone said oh, I was telling someone a fact about trees. Um, and they Often just how went, it starts. Oh. Yeah, and they were like, <laughs> oh, I can't remember what it was, but it was brilliant. Um, and they said, oh, you should do a podcast. And I was like, should I? And I thought, do I do a wildlife podcast? There's already so many brilliant ones out there, yes. um, you know, or I wonder if I should do a history one because then that gives me an excuse to research. Um, I already sort of get my wildlife fix in my day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this would then force me to go and do, you know, some extra research in a, in a, in a completely different topic area that, you know, I really enjoy. So um, it's called Across the Ages. Um, and the unique thing about it is I will pick one topic and follow it across time and cultures. That's really cool. So I won't talk about one person. I will Mm -hmm. talk about a thing. So whether it's a concept. So my first one was on shoes. Okay. I I don't know why I just thought shoes. And so, you know, I cover things like um, the choppins, which are those huge ones that got like ridiculous like a meter high shoes like venetian women wow. wearing meter high shoes and you know I, I sort of pick either the funny or the extreme things because you can't go through that you know i generally pick the oldest known pair of shoes okay <laughs> or the oldest the old if it's if it's a, a specific uh piece of clothing or something that is an object I'll, mm-hmm. I'll talk about the oldest instance of that but then generally i'll pull it through and and then you know look at um Asia, ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, Persians, you know, whatever I suppose I find the most interesting things in. Um, and if it's not an object, so objects wise, I've done hats. That was a okay. frivolous one. It was fun. That sounds fun. <laughs> I did hats, um, which is, it doesn't sound like it's going to be interesting, but it is. Um, I've done hoaxes across the ages. Ooh. So I just picked lots of hoaxes. Like um, when we spoke about Arthur Conan Doyle earlier, yes. I covered that. It's not really a hoax. <laughs> I covered the, the the fairy hoax, you know, and 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 talked about that, and um, also uh, I've done weapons, which is not generally in my vibe. I'm not someone you won't get military history in my podcast. Okay, I'm absolutely not, not interested, interested in, that. in that. I'm a social history person. I prefer okay. sort of life at home, I guess. Um, uh, so weapons, uh, and even down to spear throwers, you know, that sort of revolutionized hunting for humans is like mm. a little thing that you fit in your hand that makes your spear go further. Like, and yeah. it makes me learn stuff. I did contraception. Okay. I bet that, that is an nuts. interesting one. Excuse just, the pun. Yeah. That is nuts. <laughs> like, you know, the things that mostly women have had to do across time and cultures is absolutely insane they've like poisoned themselves with mercury there was some in the american west they used to boil down um beaver testicles and put it in with moonshine oh my god um uh in ancient china they used to drink mercury Ah. like lead like honestly nuts yeah um and and it it gives me it's very sweary 
mm-hmm. because I am very sweary. I've been very well behaved. You've been on your best behavior. <laughs> I really have. But my podcast is all gloves off. Nice. Um, so, you know, and, and I just tend to just riff whatever I feel like talking about. And I'm very selfish. I talk about what interests me. And if I'm researching it and I'm finding it boring, it does not make the cut. Right. It's so it's very, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very fast. You know, I, I tend to keep them under half an hour because mm-hmm. the speed at which I talk is very, very fast. So, <laughs> you know, they're probably 45 minutes worth of content, but I just smash through them. Yeah. I just don't need to, don't need to breathe. No. Um, but people seem to like them. I mean, it's picked up quite well. I've not done an episode for quite a while, and it's because it's silly season. Yeah, I'm I'm so busy. Sometimes I I can't even socialize. I'm so tired, so I just can't think. Each episode takes twelve hours to research. Yeah, that's it fun. takes a lot because it's lots of mini facts. Mm. Because it's not just I'm not looking at one person. You know, I'm looking at one thing one one culture for five minutes yes then I'm going on to the next one so it's a very it generally tends to be quite a top level look into each sort of time and culture but but I enjoy it and people seem to really like it I've got two subscribers I don't want to show off as in (laughs) paid subscribers really oh yeah which is just and then I feel awful because I've not put anything out for a while you know but I did a sort of coffee thing saying you're not going to get anything extra for this yeah I, I I can barely commit to the episodes, but if you'd like to tip me, and I didn't even turn on the subscription option, it happened automatically. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and then I was like, suddenly had two subscribers, and I was like, oh, I love you. Uh, yeah, thank you. But, <laughs> but I've recently tipped over 20, 21k listens. Congratulations. Um, Twenty one thousand. Thank you very much. So, uh, and it is nice, and and you get someone just a random, not even your mum. Yeah, You know, you just get a random person saying, oh, I really enjoyed this episode. Or you see a review and you don't recognize the name. It's not like a Twitter friend. Yeah. You're like, thanks, friend. Checks in the post, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, they say, oh, this podcast's amazing. Oh, she's hilarious. And I'm like, all I want to hear in life is she's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, so good. that is just top level compliment for me because yeah. I just I, I like laughing. I like making people laugh. Like that's what brings me quite a lot of joy. So. Yeah, I'm like, tick, that's that's my ego for the day. I'm, yeah. I'm fine. So I will try and put something new out soon. I have started a new episode on great human migrations. Ooh, um, that would be interesting. I say, I, I, might, I might drop the great, because okay. by great, I mean big. Long human migrations, yeah. Like sort of the, the amount of people Lengthy. moving rather oh, than these were really good. Okay. Um, because, you know, obviously you've got, you know, the slave trade, for example, you know, that is a huge human migration. Yeah. It's great in terms of size. Yeah. But obviously it is not great, really. Um, so it's more so, like mass human migration. Yeah. I'll probably mm-hmm. change the name. But I started, you know, um, I've start, I have started that. But um, yeah. hopefully once once work starts winding down a little bit and I'm not working such and sociable hours, I, I feel like I can commit a little bit more time to it. But that's the beauty of your own podcast. Yeah, so if you want to go and listen to Nat's podcast, it's Across the Ages, and she's on Twitter as well with it. Yep, yep, um, at, underscore, at underscore Across the Ages. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we don't get the wrong one. No, and, I mean, I don't know what the other one is, but don't follow them. No, <laughs> no we're not interested in them. No. <laughs> and then speaking of Twitter, uh, I asked earlier if we had any questions for you, and I've got two questions for you from Twitter. Oh, no, you haven't. So no pressure, no <laughs> pressure. Said, oh, okay. So the first one comes from um, Anxious Plant, 
um, who is also wonderful on Twitter. And she's asking how effective are bat highways? And I had this same question for you. So I was waiting for this segment to do that because I've got bat highways between here and London. They're like bridges. So above some roads, there are uh, almost like pylons with rope bridges between them. And supposedly they're oh. to help bats cross highways. Oh, nice. Okay, well, well, bats have flight lines. We mm-hmm. call them flight lines. And that is a linear feature which they use to commute from A to B. Okay. Um, depending on the species, but a lot of species won't just fly across an open field. Okay. Generally, they'll go along a hedgerow um, and often forage under it as well. But, th- th- you know, when you're looking at a development, you-, you have to sort of look at flight lines saying, you know, if I get rid of this section of hedgerow, for example, that breaks the flight line up, which means that the bat then can't get over there. Okay. So <laughs> I didn't know these things existed, but linear features that they can navigate through using flight lines will be good <laughs> oh okay yeah so it's definitely yeah, so better like, than not having it oh absolutely um and you often if, if you know look outside at night mm-hmm. and obviously but when you're in your house they will use a building they'll use houses a row of houses as a flight line oh okay so often if you look outside you want to look just after dusk so just check what time sunset is mm-hmm. and that's around the time they're going to start emerging depending on the species pipistrels which are the most common ones you, you're going to see coming out 10 minutes after the sunset time so have it just stick your head out a window yeah and have a look and it is likely that they're going to be using your house your flats your you know any hedgerows any fences as flight lines and that's where you're going to see them Cool. So I would say probably very effective because yeah. it just gives them a little map. Yeah, because uh, the one the ones in my garden use my fence then, I guess, because mm-hmm. I, I always see them going up and down the same. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, they're quite loyal. I mean. They're quite loyal to um, roots. There was a, I'm going off on a tangent now, but this, okay. this is interesting, <laughs> I promise. There's um there's a, lesser and greater horseshoe roost that I was monitoring when I was living in Wales like on a voluntary basis with one of my very good friends Angus who um, taught me a lot about bats Um, Mm. and you basically do the roost count every year just to monitor how they're doing and there was a Land Rover parked immediately outside the barn okay right so what the bats used to do is go over the Land Rover and then swoop down okay right and then back up the Land Rover then moved. Okay. But the bats, for ages, did the same route out mm-hmm. and as if there was a Land Rover still there. Wow. Like, they did that same route, so they're quite loyal to, I go this way, and sometimes they won't even call when they come out of a roost because they know where they're going for that first bit because yeah. it's so routine, they do it so often. I mean, they change roosts quite a lot, but, you know... Um, if it's a big roost like that, they'll be quite um, loyal to it. So it's just fascinating. They just, they make this mental map and that's the map. So you can imagine how jarring it is for them for something suddenly not to be there. Yeah, that's like when um, when it's dark, sometimes I won't turn the lights on when I'm heading downstairs to yeah. get water. You just know the way yeah. to the kitchen. Yeah. If I put anything in my way, that's it. I'm falling down the stairs. <laughs> like, bye. <laughs> oh! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
And the second question that we've got is from Craig Hoover, who asks, is there territory plant forward slash plant target overlap between bats and birds uh, like there is with different pollinators? You're going to have to Sorry, okay, the let question because I don't understand. <laughs> so um, pollinators have like territory, like they have like turf wars between different pollinators. Right. Is there like a turf war, a niche war between bats and birds at all in the UK? I don't know. I, I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, you'll have predators taking bats out. Mm -hmm. You'll have, but that's not really a territory war. That's more just predation from owls, predation from sparrowhawks and stuff like that, sort of as they're coming out and the sparrowhawks are going to bed or obviously, you know, at night with mm -hmm. owls. But... I don't, I mean, there's not a huge amount of crossover because on dawns, you, you've got your species that start calling early and that's mm -hmm. things like song thrush, um, uh, wren, um, and, and you start to hear them, you know, picking up in the dawn chorus. And really they're, they're super busy calling, doing yeah. their dawn chorus, telling everyone, this is my territory, bugger off. <laughs> the bats don't care. Okay you know they're they're back in bed yeah you know so I, not not to my knowledge and and to be honest it's not something that we ever talk about or consider in any any sort of bat conversation that i've ever had with any expert so i mean bats are still a bit of an enigma so yeah you never know what you don't know in science but i i don't i don't think so at the moment from what i understand <laughs> okay yeah. Oh, cool. Thank you so much for answering those. Um, Pressure. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm a toddler. So I'm a toddler, I say. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been absolutely lovely having you. And I've learned so much about bats and just ecology. It's been wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's been really fun. I was, you know what, I've had such a busy week and I'm sorry I had to move the date, but I was... Um, Oh, I just had to go up to the, the climbing sort of, you know, it was quite far away and I've had such a busy week and I just thought, oh, but it's just been as soon as I turned on, like it's just been really nice and lovely and, um, you know, upbeat and it's been really nice. So thank you very much for asking me. I was like, whenever I'm asked, I'm like, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. And people what love hearing mean? about what ecologists are up to. And, yeah. this, and it, so it's just to, like a, as a side note, I know that it's difficult having imposter syndrome and, and feeling like you're not quite within a niche, but you definitely, you have the passion and enthusiasm of an ecologist. So I, yeah. So I feel like that is half the battle with it. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. And that's, to be honest, that's what my associate director says to me, but like she's just like, she's like, you're like, well, I had, I had my probation um, my second out of three because it's a nine-month probation okay um, and I had my six-month probation and I looked at the feedback from sort of all the people higher up and it was all like very enthusiastic oh you know, has had stuff to learn but is really willing and really you know and asking the right questions I was like, yeah that's all you can ask for really because if because you can be really good at your job but people find you boring <laughs> no one wants to work with someone who's boring no. it's just like <laughs> no <laughs> yeah absolutely oh well thank you so much so again people can find you on twitter at nat's a bin that's a bin yeah <laughs> or at underscore across the ages yeah that's right and if you want to see anything that i've mentioned today you can find it at biologist of it on twitter and instagram 
and uh, I have been B. Nat, you have been absolutely wonderful. This has been The Biologist of It, and I will see you in the next one. Bye. <laughs>